0: Hello Passport People listeners, Finn here, and I just wanted to take a moment to tell you that Island Life Productions is now on Patreon. Patreon is an online subscription service that allows you to support our work for as little as £2 per month in exchange for different bits of bonus content. So far, we have been uploading special Passport People travel vlogs, Tales of Andalusia, and the Highland Fling, taking you on personalised video adventures to some of the most beautiful parts of the world. We've also been uploading special behind-the-scenes content from our recent fiction podcast, Welcome to the Quids Inn, with special videos showcasing how we made the series and a bonus bloopers podcast with all the funny bits from the recordings that weren't in our initial script. To join the island and begin supporting our work for less than the price of a coffee per month, go to patreon.com islandlifeproductions today. And now, on with the show. We'll start on Knightswood, and if we end up talking about chocolate biscuits... the entirety of the hour then that's just what we do and that's just how the podcast is
1: yep no that suits me pretty well that's (laughs) that's the way i chat exactly (laughs) exactly
0: Guten Tag everybody and welcome to the season finale of season five of Passport People, the podcast where we talk to people about the places that matter to them. I as always, well not as always, but as of last week have returned to the host chair um, and joining me today is the wonderful, fantastic Aileen. How are you Aileen?
1: I'm very well, thank you.
0: (laughs) Feeling positive, feeling bright and sunny on this uh, cold February day.
1: Yes, there's snow in the hills and sun in the sky, and your visit is very welcome.
0: Ah, thank you. We're recording uh, this podcast on location for where we're talking about today, which I think always adds a little something special. It's like we're discussing the, the world around us as we directly see it. Anyway, I go off track. Um, Haylene, tell us about you. Uh,
1: well, I we're sitting here in Knightswood Community Centre so I suppose wh- who I am at the moment is the Executive Director of Ignite Theatre uh, who I am as a person is I'm a, a Scottish woman that grew up in Helensborough and Blaine and Glasgow and I identify very much myself as a Glaswegian um, and was just very passionate from about the arts from a very early age uh, my mother's handbag she had a thing from about the age of six where I'd put myself down as a grand finale for uh, an outdoor play session that we were doing as playing circus performers in a wood so, uh, so yeah that passion to perform and share and create drama and theatre has been in me right from the get-go <laughs> and uh, I managed to build a career where I get to do what I love every day.
0: It's crazy, isn't it? How this is like a thing that people get like paid to do. <laughs> I still haven't gotten my head around that.
1: Yes, I mean, I would. Uh, I, in theory, I would love to win the lottery. But even if I won the lottery, I would still come into work because <laughs> because uh, I suppose doing this kind of job is a bit like winning the lottery because you're just amongst really like-minded people. And I've worked across a number of professions within the arts and film and TV as well as. Theatre and radio, and it's interesting how it's more on the theatre side and on radio side that you have people who are vocational about their love for it, and the the better paid it gets, the. The kind of worse the atmosphere perhaps creatively because some people are just in it for the money and other people are in it for the love of it so here at the sharp end in community art where there's no money at all really <laughs> uh, you find the nicest people, you get the best biscuits and you, you have some of the best experiences of your
0: life 100%, 100%. Um, you said when you were talking about how you identify that you identify as a Glaswegian, what is it that has always made you identify yourself as Glaswegian versus Scottish or British or anything else?
1: I don't know. Is It's maybe something that other people see in me that I hadn't really noticed in myself. Uh, Byers Road in the west end of Glasgow is uh, the kind of road that I grew up near. And uh, my, my partner says that that road is in my DNA. And <laughs> the further away I get from it, the more uncomfortable I seem. And if I'm on that road, then that is my kind of spiritual home. Uh, I suppose... Moving to, I moved to Glasgow when I was eight years old, I didn't want to move, I hated being in the city, I hated the school that I went to Um, and at first it just seemed like really scary but then I suppose as you approached into your teenage years all the advantages about being in the city really kicked in. So doing drama, going to a drama class, having a cinema on your doorstep, having two cinemas on the doorstep um, it just meant that you were kind of out and about a lot and it was just a really great and dynamic place to be and I ended up studying at Glasgow University as well, um, even though I'd been working for the student union as a schoolgirl, as a cloakroom attendant in, the, in the, what they called the men's union back then. Um, but yeah, so I suppose I just became more and more ingrained within the kind of fabric of the city. And, and it's been that way ever since. I've lived in other places, lived in other countries briefly, but I've always returned to Glasgow and uh, it feels like a really great place to come back to.
0: And finally, we've already kind of mentioned this, but where are we talking about today for the Listener own uh, recap?
1: Well, even though I've got some nice exotic stamps in my passport, <laughs> uh, we decided upon Knightswood. Nice Earth, but somehow I have ended up uh, working here and and sort of forging my career here. Um, It's just in the northwest of Glasgow. It is a very odd area in that uh, it's one of the oldest areas in Western Europe in terms of the the age of the residents. I suppose it's because it was one of the very first housing schemes and lots of people got moved out here maybe in the 20s and 30s, um, and I suppose my interest in it, apart from my mum and dad having retired to here, um, is that it's had a huge influx of refugees, asylum seekers, new Scots, over quite a long period of time, and that has changed the nature of the area, the character of the area, hugely for the better, but it's not been without its troubles and without its challenges.
0: You mentioned that kind of 20s and 30s period when people began to first occupy Knightswood. Knightswood was first kind of annexed into Glasgow around that time period, as as the city was expanding and as more housing was needed. Does Knightswood almost feel like it's a completely separate entity to Glasgow, or does it feel like it's part of the fabric of the city?
1: I think it feels like it's part of the fabric of the city, but that might be through the lens that I see it. Certainly, I know that you know, historically it must have been more sort of farmland and and kind of dairy farms and much more rural but I suppose all the time that I've known it, it's had the high flats it's been very it's been very built up and it feels very much like a a suburb and um, so I suppose it has that feeling of certain amount of gentility there and um, some shops some resources but I probably think it was maybe resourced better 30 years ago than it is today Um, we're sitting, looking out onto what used to be a swimming pool and is is now an empty space because it's been so run down that it will never be a swimming pool again there's a local library, there's certain resources but those resources are now being squeezed a bit so it's, it's got easy access to the city centre it's it's a great location. You can get out to Lomond in half an hour, um, but as an area in itself, it's it's kind of I think it's one of those areas in Glasgow that gets largely overlooked. There are other areas of the city in Glasgow that seem more dynamic or have a bigger personality, and uh, and obviously there's much bigger housing schemes like Drumchapel just down the road that are almost like a town in their own right. Uh, this place feels kind of Quiet, quite settled and, um, yeah, kind of unobtrusive.
0: Do you think that's a good thing? I, I, I don't know. Where I'm coming from this, right, is that on this podcast, a lot of the time with the urban areas we're discussing, this this concept of gentrification and what gentrification is doing to parts of the world and the kind of community identity within it are, are seen as quite a negative thing. And it's almost taking away the kind of spirit of what an area is kind of seeking to do but what you've kind of described is it's almost a sort of reverse gentrification in which it was this place that was kind of designed to be a bit more better resourced uh, to perhaps have different people base here and now it's kind of moved in the opposite direction and so I'm almost going to kind of flip the question back sort of on itself and say do you do you feel happy in a way that, you know, for example, the resources that used to be there aren't there because it's made the area what it is today? Or do you wish that this place kind of was what the vision was back in its heyday? I th-
1: I think the facilities that they set out, the architect's plans set out to have, are absolutely the facilities that it needs. So even though there is, down in Scottsdale, a very nice sports centre, it's very much for sort of sport, sports people and people with cars to kind of drive there. So I think the area is now pretty under-resourced. I think the huge thing that happened with this area was that it was completely social housing and then under Thatcher you could buy your council house. So uh, that that is the biggest seismic change of the area that a lot of people bought their house, including my parents, at a huge discount. Um, and. And that's soaked up quite a lot of social housing into the private sector and the flats which were, you know, sort of huge, huge resource of people have been very badly neglected um, <clears throat> they did start doing them up with the first resettlement programme of asylum seekers and refugees but that coincided with the notion for local people in particular that were in those flats the idea that, oh, these asylum seekers and refugees are arriving, so now we're seeing repairmen, now we're seeing white goods going in, now we're seeing carpets going down in these other flats, but meanwhile, I can't get my boiler mended, I can't get my windows replaced, I can't, you know. So so there was a huge amount of tension around that. I think now the flats have regenerated, have become better. Some of the high flats have been pulled down and replaced with lower social housing. But certainly there's a squeeze in that social housing. And I think having a mix of people that are in social housing sector as well as the private housing sector is really what is needed to keep the area kind of dynamic and alive. If it just becomes owner-occupiers and too gentrified, I think it would just the area will just become deadly.
0: So in a way, it's more balanced. In a way, it's kind of what a community should feel like as it is today.
1: Yeah, I think you need lots of different generations coexisting and I think you need lots of different ethnicities coexisting Um, and I think that was a challenge that Knightswood hadn't had up until that point. I think probably amongst a largely white population in Knightswood There are people that came from other places. There's a a very old Polish community in Glasgow that came in the thirties with the Second World War and a lot of people that stayed. So I imagine in this area, some of those people are there, but it's that thing that any influx of immigration almost gets kind of washed away in memory. So even people that came from Chile in 1970s that ended up in Cumbernauld, just melt into the general white population and are kind of forgotten about so I think the influx of African asylum seekers into the area was the biggest challenge and because people were kind of fearful of other um, and it was that very kind of homely Glaswegian kind of quite insular population having to face something which was kind of a bit more challenging to them not realising
0: <coughs>
1: sorry, not realising that that was good to bring especially around for the high flats regeneration and improve standards in schools because asylum seeker children come in and, and really value education and do better in schools so a lot of things changed but there was a lot of negativity at the beginning because it was just like we're already overstretched here we're already under resourced and these people are arriving and not seeing the benefit of bringing younger generations of people in to help kind of offset how elderly the population had become.
0: And then within all of that going on, there's Ignite. Tell us a little bit about how Ignite came into existence, where Ignite um, sits in the wider community of Knightswood that you were just talking about, and what you guys do.
1: I never expected to set up a youth theatre and I wasn't looking to do that I suppose where it started was that um, my dad had died I was looking after my mum who was out here in Knightswood and um, I wasn't living with her but I was having to kind of come out every day and look after her needs uh, she was housebound with arthritis and so that thing about having been a carer or being a carer was just becoming more and more demanding so I had had quite a lot of work in sort of film and tv but that I just couldn't do that and and be in Glasgow and look after my mum as well and so quite a lot of my freelance work had kind of fallen away and then I saw a job advertised in the paper for a writer in residence for asylum seekers and refugees for Glasgow City Council and I applied more out of curiosity than anything else and lo and behold I got the job and almost straight away, I realised how completely out of my depth I was. I hadn't at that point associated that job in particular with Knightswood, but uh, they gave me a, a desk in the Mitchell Library that faced a wall and no other resources really and just said you know you've got the whole city to kind of look after and we would like some creative writing classes we would like we would like you to go wherever you are needed Uh, and so I started doing a sort of selection of things selection of kind of taster workshops but I came to a a meeting here in Knightswood Community Centre that was going on where people were talking about the tensions between the local community and and the asylum seekers and refugees that were housed in the high flats and I was really struck at how it was the teenagers in the main hall that were standing up and speaking on behalf of their parents. They were the ones that had the language skills and they were kind of um, so articulate and so vocal. But I could also see, like, 14-year-old girls standing there representing their mum and dad who were maybe in their, kind of, 50s looking kind of really like they were the parent of their parents. And outside of the hall, I met this teacher, Ewan Gervin, who was rolling up a cigarette on the steps of the community centre. And we ended up in conversation and he said, these young people have nothing because they're in the high flats, parents are terrified to let them out at night and what they need is an outlet for themselves uh, in order for them to grow so that they don't end up kind of being responsible for their parents but not having a life of their own and so we decided we would do some taster workshops over in Kingsway and Ewan came along and he was a very trusted teacher and because he was coming and he was saying to the parents you can, you know, you can send your child to this workshop, it's okay. Um, and about six or seven young people came that first night, and that was 2006, that was the beginning of Ignite. I didn't know it then, but we just really got on well. I suppose I had a creative urge that I needed to scratch, and I needed to express myself creatively, because I was... Largely sitting in the house with my mother watching neighbours and putting things in the oven from Marks and Spencer's food hall. And, and they were equally frustrated in a different way, that they were kind of like, well, we've got, you know, we, we've come here, people hate us. We'd like to say to the neighbourhood, don't hate us. And it was like, okay, let's do a play about that. Let's do a play about why you shouldn't hate asylum seekers. And that became a play called The Circle of the Asylum Seeker. And really out of that, we toured that for probably about the next two or three years into schools, Edinburgh, Mella, variety of places. Got an awards, went to London, met the Home Secretary, ironically. <laughs> <laughs> um. But in the midst of all this as well, there were all the politics of dawn raids and deportations going on where people were being removed in the early morning from the flats. And so very quickly I became kind of immersed in this world, this parallel universe that was sitting right next door to my mother's flat, really, um, that I hadn't really known existed, and out of that the ball just started rolling and we became more motivated, more politicised, more galvanised, and by 2010 those young people were old enough to then launch a company together. And so we launched Ignite, and that was the beginning of the official company. Um, up until that point, we had a number of names, most of which other people had, and someone had to phone us up and say, you can't call yourself Knights Wood You Theatre? Somebody else has that name. You <laughs> Can not call yourself Arts Factory? Someone else has that name. <laughs> so eventually, Ignite Theatre, and, uh, and we launched in 2010, and we've been growing and changing and, and kind of, yeah, growing ever since. I think the most interesting thing is about it, it was probably about the first four or five years, it was completely black African young people. Wow. Um, and so it was very much an African theatre company in the heart of Glasgow and it had its own d- dynamic energy and then gradually integration started happening and, and now it's very integrated and very diverse and it's become also a home for people who are gay or transgender or maybe have dyslexia or have additional needs. People that feel marginalised in some way or don't feel like maybe in particular school isn't the right place for them or they feel like, even in their own family, they feel somehow like they don't quite fit in. Not fitting in works well for us because everybody is so different within Ignite that somehow by putting lots of disparate people together it really forms a sense of unity and company. And, uh, and that makes it feel like a really special place to be.
0: And that diversity that you talk about, I mean, I can't emphasise this enough. It's so impressive. In a country that is as white as it is, in a city that is as white as it is, over 88% Glasgow is in terms of how, how white it is the city, which is better than the Scottish numbers, but it's still a lot. How have you managed to achieve that diversity and then maintain it for as long as you guys have managed to do that?
1: I think it's down to the membership, really. Uh, those those first young people that came in uh, and helped form the company were from Rwanda, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Democratic Republic of Congo, um, and they had a huge amount of kind of energy and commitment. And then that attracted other young people in. I think now, when someone comes through the door, they can look around the room and hopefully see someone that looks a bit like them so we always try and have workshop assistants who are from the older group so we try and have both male and female represented and um, we try and represent our diversity and so when you come to a class hopefully whatever background you're from you should be able to look around and see someone that you think mm, that person's a bit like me that they're five years older um, and and that sort of seems to be a continuity of care I have to say Brexit has had a horrendous effect um, there is no getting away from the fact that we had better diversity before Brexit than we have had afterwards. Some of that has been literally physically people removing themselves out of, out of Knightswood and out of Scotland back to another country. So we had, in, we have now have a juniors group, so uh, we had members from Estonia who were in our juniors group who, when Brexit happened, returned to Estonia. Other people left the country for places like New Zealand. Um, so we we lost some of our diversity then, I think because as well the atmosphere of the Brexit and leave referendum and all the rest of it increased racism so much that people just we're back to that feeling of well i'm just not going to let my child out it's just better to kind of keep my head down and just go home at the end of the day and and that's it and um, i'm hoping now that we're kind of rebuilding trust and rebuilding but we are kind of going back to basics and that we're back working in very small spaces that are within the flats themselves rather than just in the community centre so that people don't have to travel any great distance to come to a workshop and they can sort of literally say to their mum or dad well i'm just going down five floors to the ground floor rather than i'm going three or four streets away because that's maybe the difference between them being allowed to attend a workshop or being saying no you're not going out. Anna, Murray. Lauren, Thomas, Michelle.
0: and we've just been hired as receptionists at Edinburgh Newington Quid's Inn, Britain's premier chain of budget hotels. So if you want to hear about what we've been up to, or you're bored, or you've heard that podcasts are cool and wanted to seem trendy, search for Welcome to the Quid's In on
1: iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Right, everybody, back to work. of what to do about that kind of drain of diversity that brexit saw i mean there is (laughs) there is perhaps a response to this question that says well scotland needs to become independent and then rejoin the european union and then that sense of diversity will come back because then a load of more people will feel comfortable about living here but until that does happen or in a world in which that doesn't happen how do you think you can encourage that that sort of diversity to come back and I'm, as i'm talking as much about the kind of the participants that you're getting through the door as i am about countering that rise in uh, racist incidents that we've seen over the last few years
1: i think the more that we can say in scotland that there's very definitely kind of a lot of separation and a lot of blue clear water between us and the position of the London and Westminster government. Boris Johnson for me has been a disaster because he has used the kind of all the most debasing forms of a sort of populist playbook in order to get himself elected to be Prime Minister. He embodies a lot of the things that I think are really terrible in this country in terms of racism and misogyny and and yet he's Prime Minister and he you know he goes on and celebrates himself at great whereas here in Scotland we have a much more measured approach in someone like Nicola Sturgeon but I don't think Scottish politics perhaps gets the airtime or gets the bandwidth in the popular press in the same way that London politics does It's very difficult to address this notion of racism uh, within Scotland because it is there and it's much more prevalent than perhaps we were caring to admit. But you've just got to fight it on a a kind of day-by-day basis and and an incident-by-incident basis. Um, You can't really let stuff which is prejudiced or ignorant stand and I suppose that's what I've sort of had to learn as a sort of white person working with people of colour is that I was perhaps kind of blinkered and thinking well in Scotland it's so much better. No I don't think in Scotland it's so much better at all I think there's pockets of Scotland that maybe are okay and other pockets of Scotland where if you're a person of colour it must be really hellish your day-to-day experience of low-level racism. I've experienced some of it at the flats when we started out very early on. One of the first things that happened to me was I was told to kind of stand underneath one of the balconies in case somebody pisses down on you. Or so I was literally so I was literally underneath a balcony um feeling a little nervous. This was this was I think only about the second workshop and I was standing with the young people and we were outside um, and I thought one of the young people had punched me in the stomach and I sort of, I folded over and what it was, was somebody in the flat opposite had uh, used a catapult and hit me in the stomach with a potato. Now, Goodness that's, me. that's like a kind of comedy prank, but it was really those catapults are quite strong yeah. and the potato was like really hard so um, it gave me a big bruise if, if it hit a child in the eye or something it would have been really really serious but it, it did shake me up a bit and I kind of thought okay so that's that's what you're dealing with as a young person living there day by day and we've had incidents of people throwing to out and off the balconies at the young people when we've been loading sets and things so it's just that it's low-level stuff but it's stuff that must make you put yourself on edge just entering and leaving the building that you're living in and um, at the end of the day I'm getting in my car I'm going off and I'm living somewhere else and that's um you know, so that's not my reality, but I'm glimpsing what it's like and, and I'm not underestimating how challenging it is to be in Glasgow, terrible weather, limited finances, seemingly limited opportunities and waiting for a long time for an asylum decision. You're in that kind of holding pattern of waiting for your life to begin, but meanwhile you're a young teenager and you're getting older and you won't get these years back. So I think it's really important that Ignite is there to kind of say, well, all of that stuff is really crap for you, but at least at Ignite, we can create a safe space and we can do some stuff which hopefully is magical and fun, and you can at least grow and find out who you are and who you want to be. You don't have to be an actor, that's the last thing I want to do, the one stage school? <laughs> we don't need more <laughs> actors. <laughs> but, um, but it's really surprising the number of Ignite young people that have ended up working in the NHS. It's uh, really just kind of, now some of those early Ignite people are about 30. And so, so some are doctors, some are hospital porters, and somebody's a radiographer, there's two people training to be doctor. The, there's just such a range of, of things that people are doing, but all stuff that you really need confidence for. And you really need to kind of uh, feel like you you have planted your two feet in this country and kind of gone, yes, I've got a place here and I want to make a difference. And I think that's the thing that we see amongst all our young people, whether they're academically gifted or they're just really street smart or whatever, they really want to contribute something. And, and this place gives them the chance to do that.
0: Well, and I suppose care breeds care. So when you've been raise an environment or been part of a community where you felt that care it encourages you to then go out into the world and say I want to pass this care on to other people because I've known what having that care did for me you know
1: yeah I I suppose that's my huge frustration about the asylum system is that you force you know you bring people to the UK because you're obliged to do so as, as part of your thing under the United Nations but then you <laughs> leave them in relatively poor housing and poor conditions with very little access to money <coughs> and opportunity you don't allow the adults to work so the young people are the ones that perhaps are, are gaining the most by being in education but they're just there's so much talent there there's so much skill there and and yet these adults are being forced into depression and despair because they're not allowed to make any active contribution to the society that they are hopefully going to be allowed into at some stage, but in the meantime you're wasting five or six years waiting for a decision. It would be much, much better if straight away you were allowed to do something which allowed them to feel like they were part of the fabric of society and then I think a lot of the prejudice and ignorance that goes around it would be broken down.
0: Oh, I could talk about this subject all day, there's so much to unpack here. Um, but we're going to move on and we're going to zoom out on the wider Knightswood community. Um, as we were talking about earlier Glasgow City Council have run Knightswood Park Gala day annually since 2008 uh, creating a space for council and community groups to come together in Knightswood. Um, But is that community a community where everybody is really, really tight and connected with each other and everybody is keen to help each other and support when they can, or is it a little bit that it's a bit more insular and therefore when an organisation has something or they've got a, a customer base or a group of people who they work with, that they're very keen to kind of keep it for themselves because the nature is that, you know, there's almost seen as a bit of a competition going almost.
1: I think that Knightswood has become much more outward looking, more dynamic and and more inclusive. And I think an awful lot of that um, has happened, particularly in the last two years around Covid. I, I think I, I stand guilty myself with an ignite of being in our own little bubble, of, of kind of like doing the work that we do, but not really necessarily connecting up with uh, other local charities or different generational workshops that are going on. Um, I think with COVID, because the centre was shut, but the guy, Stuart, who was running the cafe was making food here, which was being then home delivered by volunteers to people that were uh, living in isolation or shielding. So that was an amazing thing that was happening. And I just think during COVID there there was just so many acts of of kind of generosity and support that happened within the community. um, that yeah, I began seeing it in a different way. I think traditionally with the Knightswood Gala, I'd not really kind of rated that thing very highly. I thought it was a kind of leftover of a different era where kind of they got out the heavy horses and walked them around the park, and it was (laughs) kind of something slightly quaint from a different era. Um, we've been attending the gala and and participating in the gala for the past few years now it's extraordinary because when you go around nights with day to day you don't really see the level of diversity of people that are there you go to the gala and it's just absolutely astonishing the number of people that are coming out from the flats and it does feel like a kind of A safe day, a family day, where people do feel confident to kind of pack a picnic, get out to the park and and mix with each other. Um, Some of the attractions, like the police having a van there that you can sit in the back of, uh, I'm not particularly struck by. But an awful lot of what um, is there are organisations locally that are there recruiting and making people aware of what's happening and I suppose through doing that for a number of years I've become aware of a lot of things like the Eco Trust that operates from here um, and and various organisations that work out of the flats in Kingsway who are really kind of working tirelessly but are very unseen. And so, yeah, I think there's more work to be done to integrate us a bit more, Um, but I think if you can catch the groove of one of the community groups and and kind of get in there, then it's a very supportive. Yeah, it's a very supportive kind of community to be part of.
0: It's very encouraging to hear that. It's very encouraging to hear that in the kind of the face of something that has been as difficult and intense and overwhelming as COVID, that people have sort of found that extra mile within them to say, no, we can do more for each other. And there is a little bit more than just kind of how we benefit ourselves. To, um, to the world that we live in, which is encouraging.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think Lynx is a charity here in the area. Um, it's, it's made up of Lincoln Avenue and Kestrel Road. It's a, it's a kind of a community centre for the high flats. And they employed me as a sessional worker way back in the day when my residency had finished, but they wanted the drama work to go on. They have set up food bank here in the area. And they're really fundamental in trying to kind of help shape kind of like for different generations, whether it's pensioners lunch club or uh, young person's youth club to, to sort of really kind of create opportunities which are free, easy to access and just get people out from that isolation. Because I think post-COVID rebuilding people's confidence to mix again and socialise again and enjoy simple pleasures of life again is something that we're all going to have to dig quite deep to do
0: season five of Passport People has been the season of inspiration we're bringing it to a close today with this episode Um, but I've asked every single guest on this season because they're out there in the world and they are inspiring people I've asked them who or what inspires them so Aileen who or what inspires you?
1: This is going to sound quite corny, but it is the young people that I work with. Uh, I see so much in them that I mean, I was a terrible teenager. I just made every wrong decision that was going, and I know they. uh, You know, if they listen to this, they'll think, "What? You know, you, you." poacher turned gamekeeper. Everything that I asked them not to do was exactly what I was involved with when I was a teenager. So I was very bad at going to school. I, I kind of bunked off and kind of like did got up to all kinds of nonsense. Um, so I, I love the fact that I'm working with young people who are much more intelligent, empathetic, connected, much more caring about the world than I was at that age. I think when I was about 16, 17, I was a bit kind of self-obsessed, wanted to be an actress, knew that I wanted to work in the theater, but uh, but yeah, couldn't see much more of my own worldview other than I had to get out of Glasgow. Uh, I spent my time going down to London and hanging out with people that I knew in London. And I just really, really wanted to, to get away. Um, and yeah, that didn't really lead to some of the best results in the world. Um, and so I look back in my own teenage years and think yeah they weren't, they, weren't the, they weren't the best spent time so I think when I meet young people now who have come from another country ended up you know, living in the 12th floor of a high-rise in Glasgow or looking after younger siblings or maybe helping out mum and dad are striving to do their exams are coming to Ignite on a Tuesday and still have a vision for themselves of what they want to do as a career or profession I'm thinking, I could never be you! At <laughs> <laughs> that age all I wanted to do was dye my hair pink and get drunk!
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so, um, so yeah, I think they inspire me and I think that's why I really, yeah, even though I didn't mean this ever to be a job, or a company or a thing is, is why it's kind of grown into the charity that it's become. And, uh, yeah, because they are, you're, you're kind of, especially as you get older, you're, you're kind of si- sipping from the fountain of youth and being around young people that are so dynamic and charismatic. And um, that is amazing. And, uh, and that's why I love coming to my work.
0: And on that note, what does the future hold for Knightswood? We, we've painted a picture in this episode of this diverse community that maybe is not what it was initially envisioned as being, but has grown into something that feels very balanced and very different and very exciting. But what's coming next?
1: Um, well, I suppose what we're striving to do is kind of make sure that the resources that the area deserves, it, it gets. So we're looking at the old swimming pool at the moment, which I think is for sale or for lease for like a quid, and hoping that perhaps that could be changed into a a multi-use art
0: centre, um,
1: which would mean that every generation would have access to it and be able to use it, maybe with a sprung dance floor. Uh, I think one thing that joins Knightswood together is there's loads of people that love dance here, from you know pensioners with old time dancing through to kind of your kind of Saturday morning kind of acrobatic dancers um that are kind of like three and four years old so I think it would be great to see yeah I suppose the city spends money on things like the BMX uh, for the European games and then that resource almost straight away becomes shut down so they spend over a million on that and then people in the high flats are sitting looking at it and thinking it's not open, it's not there, it's just growing weeds. Um, so it's about how you take things that are, are kind of, have been given to Knightswood or made in Knightswood um, for an event or for a special thing and then reintegrate them into the community so it becomes a community resource all year round because everyone in this area would love that BMX track to be open all the time. and. And young people to be using it but at the moment it just seems to be behind a kind of a high fence so so that that's always so it would be great to see more resource for safe spaces free facilities that everybody in the area can access and that gives the area more equality and and also a nicer atmosphere and I- maybe a nice coffee shop as well <laughs> <laughs>
0: Never say no to another coffee shop. And finally, what is the thing to do in Knightswood that is like the Knightswood experience? If you come and you want to understand this area, this is what you have to do.
1: That's a really good question. Um, I would say it's really nice to go to Knightswood Park and not feed the swans. Ooh. People, people feel, feed the swans white bread and that apparently is really bad for them so uh, we've even done a play where children have dressed up as swans so an <laughs> uh, informational leaflet about what is better to feed them like sort of seeds and things but yeah, it's, it's in the midst of quite a, a big urban environment, Knightswood Park is still a really, is a very beautiful space, it's a lovely boating pond, the swans are there uh, you can sit there and and feel like you're not in the city. Uh, I suppose it's part of Glasgow having being a deer green place. Knightswood Park is definitely worth a visit.
0: Amazing. Right, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Aileen, you've talked so much about the wonderful stuff that Ignite's doing. Please tell the listeners where they can find out more.
1: Well, uh, we, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Ignite Theatre Glasgow. And I think you can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter, and we have a wonderful woman called Maya who's one of our former members now a member of staff who does our social media so we're if you message us on Facebook we'll put you in our mailing list Uh, we're always doing stuff around World Refugee Day in June Um, but yeah we're always always doing free classes Saturday mornings in the community centre Tuesday night and nights with Congregational Church we've got something for every age group from the ages of four right through to 25. So if you fancy coming along and joining us for a session, we'd love to see you.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, And meanwhile, Mm Final update from Planet Island Life Productions on uh, Season 5 of Passport People. Just a reminder that we are already looking at Season 6 of Passport People and um, we're looking to theme the new season around the kindness of strangers. So if you have never met anyone at Island Life Productions or have never come on to the podcast before and you fancy coming on and doing an episode because you've got some exciting part of the world that you want to talk about, please uh, get in touch finn at islandlifeproductions.com, dot com and we will put something in the calendar ahead of that next season, which I think will be very exciting. Um, but I'm very biased on that front. Uh, the other thing that we've got going on is we've got our online networking event for early career artists. That is called Archipelago. That is happening from six to eight p.m. UK time, and that is happening on Monday, March 14th. So just under a week from when you're hearing this but if you've been listening to these episodes and you fancy seeing who I am and who the other people are that make up the wonderful world of Iron Life Productions please shoot me an email and come along we'd love to see you there um we will be back at some point in the future with season six of Passport People so again if you are keen to come on the podcast please shoot over an email and I'd love to interview you and until then keep washing your hands keep staying safe from covid uh keep smiling keep being nice to each other all the good happy things and from aileen and i goodbye Bye. you've been listening to passport people the music was by harry bongo and the cover art was by maya pieris learn more about us by visiting our Island Life Productions Facebook page, visiting our Patreon at patreon.com slash islandlifeproductions, or by visiting our website at islandlifeproductions.com.